Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Dottie. Well done. So great. Um, I'm not sure if I introduced myself earlier. I'm Peter, the lead pastor here. I get to work with a great team. Oh, you'll see, Ron. Just wait for it. Um, if you're new or visiting with us uh, today, this is how we start every sermon. I just want to clean the surface up here. Hey, um, <clears throat> this is uh, like some vinegar water. Do you guys clean with vinegar? It's like so, um, so effective. So I was just thinking, um, can I get this like dirty glass of water? and might kind of do a little bit to, uh, to clean that up uh, before your very eyes using this amazing potion called vinegar water. That's an advertisement to use vinegar. Wow, that smells intense. That's, uh, that's crazy. This is not working at all. It's still brown. It's still dirty. That's, um, that's not surprising to anybody here that that didn't work. Huh. Crazy. And yet, you know, do we ever find ourselves in situations where we attempt to deal with the mess on the inside by using some kind of disinfectant solution on the outside? Is there any way in which you or I see that the contents are dirty? And in an effort to deal with the dirty contents inside, we just clean the container. And then we wonder why it doesn't work. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your gracious words to us. For your word teaches us. Your word reveals your very self to us. And you're who we need. So reveal yourself to us again and more today. That we might hear your voice and walk in your way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in Mark uh, chapter 1 verse 7, which by the way that was really cool. You got to hear two uh, versions uh, this morning. So you heard the New Living Translation being read so well uh, by Dottie, and then you saw, um, I think that was probably the NIV uh, version. So um, two for one here today. Amazing. Verse one reads, uh, one day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Now this verse sets the scene for us. It gives us uh, some context for what's about to happen. This verse is like a warning verse to us that says a giant conflict is about to ensue. Some people are going to be at one another in the verses that follow. Uh, Jerusalem is quickly becoming the symbolic center of opposition to Jesus and Jesus' kingdom. So Jerusalem is like a, it's a real city, but it also here takes on a symbolism 
Jerusalem becomes like the capital city of the kingdoms of men. Kingdoms which stand in conflict with Jesus' kingdom. So in Mark 7, we see Jerusalem come into conflict with Jesus, who it turns out is a bit of a rebel and a revolutionary. Because Jesus breaks the rules. He breaks the rules as he sets up the rule and reign of God. So what is Jerusalem's problem with Jesus? Why the conflict? Well, according to verse 2, Jesus' disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. Now, this isn't the kind of hand-washing that you rightly encourage or demand that your children do before they come to the dinner table. Right? That's a good idea. You should keep doing that. That's not the hand-washing that is being referred to here. This is a kind of ceremonial or symbolic cleaning of the hands. So verse 3 and verse 4 outline some of the detail. Again, we read that the Jews, especially the Pharisees, these were like the the religious leaders who were a bit self-righteous, they do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. You know, they, they don't use antibiotic soap and then sing happy birthday uh, while they wash. That's not that kind of hand washing. It's more symbolic. So similarly, verse 4, similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is one of many traditions that they have clung to. So this ceremonial hand washing was an important religious custom in order to prevent a Jewish person from becoming ritually or ceremonially defiled or unclean by touching something or someone who was unclean. So for example, a religious Jewish person would come home from the public market and would ceremonially wash their hands because at the public market there was a good chance that they had come in contact with a non-Jewish person, what the scripture calls a Gentile. And that that contact with a non-Jewish person would deem them ceremonially unclean. And so they would come home and they would do this hand-washing ceremony that would reinstate their ritual or ceremonial purity. Do you remember near the beginning of the pandemic when COVID was spreading all over the place, but we just, like, nobody knew what was happening yet? We weren't sure how this was happening. We were, um, we were wiping down cereal boxes with Clorox wipes. We were, um, you know, at cash registers, every single customer who would come through, you know, the counter would get uh, meticulously cleaned and wiped down between every customer. And I remember at that time feeling a little bit of paranoia, like, like COVID was a stealth enemy. You couldn't see it. You couldn't smell it. You couldn't hear it. But it was out there, and it was deadly. And this, I think this is kind of how the Pharisees were approaching the religious law and ceremonial defilement. In other words, they were actively seeking to do everything they could to prevent a kind of spiritual infection. So Jewish rituals of hand-washing and a whole bunch of other traditions came from many oral traditions and written traditions, but the main one is what is called the Talmud. The Talmud is a collection of rabbinic writings, uh, basically commentary that rabbis have written that help to 
explain and apply God's word to your life. So rabbis would take the Hebrew scriptures, and that's what we call the Old Testament, the first 80% of our Bibles. They would take the Hebrew scriptures, and then they would try to explain them and help the people to apply them to their everyday life. So, for example, in the Bible, uh, the fourth command is, uh, the fourth of the Ten Commandments is to, uh, to observe the Sabbath, to keep the Sabbath holy. And one of the ways you do that is by not working, right? It's a special day set apart for God. But then the question arises, well, what constitutes work? Well, we get a little bit of help in that question from the scriptures themselves. So, for example, we can go uh, to Jeremiah chapter 17, and the prophet Jeremiah helps us understand a little bit more about what actually constitutes work. Therefore, you know, the things that we um, should not do on the Sabbath day in order to honor God. So, Jeremiah 17, thus says the Lord, um, guard yourselves for your own sake, against carrying burdens on the Sabbath day and bringing them through the gates of Jerusalem. Nor shall you carry out burdens from your houses on the Sabbath day or do any work, but you shall keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your ancestors. Right, so don't carry any burdens because that would be considered work. But what constitutes a burden that you're not supposed to carry? Do you see how this can keep going on and on? Do you see how this kind of approach could actually lead to some spiritual paranoia? Like, I'm not supposed to work on the Sabbath. What constitutes work? I'm not really sure. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a whole bunch of laws and a whole bunch of rules, regulations. I'm going to create a huge religious system that will keep me from doing work on the Sabbath. And... Through all of that process, we have lost sight of what the Sabbath is for. That's just an example. Well, the approach of the religious leaders at the time was basically, hey, better to be safe than sorry, so we're going to institute these really strict human rules and religious practices wherever we can. This is called the Talmud. The Talmud is 38 volumes of writing. It's 2.5 million words. 2.5 million words of human teaching that in the first century had become so elevated that it had begun to replace the one word of God. And this is the problem that Jesus has with it. The heart of Jesus' rebuttal to the Pharisees' accusation is that they have elevated human teaching above God's teaching. And so Jesus quotes Isaiah 29 to make the point. And he says this, These people, you you religious leaders, are like these people who honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. Those are harsh words. For they teach man-made ideas as if they were commands from God. And Jesus goes on to say, you ignore God's law and you substitute your own tradition. They honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. They care about the container, but they don't care about the contents inside of the container. And while the container may be spotless through all the human teaching and traditions, the contents remain contaminated. 
It seems as though the religious leaders cared more about appearance than they did about substance. Now, before you, like me, get all judgy about this, you know, about those crazy religious leaders, shame on them. Before you get too judgy like I was when I was preparing for this, uh, for this morning, let me just ask you this question. Let's keep this always and ever before us. Can you think of any ways in which we tend to value appearance more than substance? So let's not get all judgy towards those first century religious leaders, all right? This... Mark chapter 7 is not really about them, it's about us. It's about what God is saying to us. So Jesus explains their hypocrisy with the example of this adult child who refuses to help his parents who are needy because he's dedicated those resources to God already. Daddy, I love the way you read that. So what happened was uh, some religious Jews, they would set aside things for God. They would dedicate things to God. It was a practice known as Corban. Corban is the word that just means dedicated to God. And so they would take some things, some of their resources, they would set them aside, and they would only use them for uh, religious activities or um, in the context of worship as they had dedicated these things to God. And that's not a bad thing to do. In fact, I think we could make a pretty good argument that that's a really good thing to do. But it becomes a problem when keeping that tradition of Corbin, of dedicating things specially for God, in keeping that tradition, it actually requires us to break the biblical commandment to love and honor your father and mother. And do you see how pious this sounds as well? Like, oh, I'm sorry, mom and dad, I can't help you. I've dedicated all of this to God. (laughs) And yet, this really pious-sounding religious practice can actually lead to us disobeying or disregarding God's teaching in the Scriptures. So again, the main problem that Jesus has with the religious rulers is that they had elevated human teaching and relegated God's teaching. And this is a problem because... Human teaching can only really address the container. Human teaching really can only clean up the outside. It cannot do anything about the contents inside the container. And this is why Jesus says in verse 15, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You're defiled by what comes out from your heart. And again in verse 18, he says... Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. Thus Jesus declared all food clean. Thank you for bacon. (laughs) And cheeseburgers. Finally, in verse 20, Jesus says, It is what comes from inside that actually defiles you. Because what comes from inside reveals your heart. What comes from your lips, what comes out of your mouth reveals the contents of your heart, the contents of your character. And what comes out reveals either a heart that is defiled or a heart that is clean. And this is why we need the scriptures. This is why we need 
the word of God because the scriptures reveal to us Jesus. They show us Jesus. They give us a picture of who Jesus is. And Jesus is the only one who can do anything about the nasty water inside. Human teaching and human tradition tries to clean us from the outside in. And sometimes, you know, we can, we can sort of clean up our act a little bit in some ways temporarily. But it's usually human teaching and human tradition. It's usually about as effective as trying to purify this water by washing the container. It's about as effective as disinfectant solution applied to the container. Only Jesus can make us clean from the inside out. It's actually what comes out that defiles you, not what goes in, right? It's actually chai tea. It's pretty good. (laughs) So Jesus says in verse 20, it is what comes from inside that defiles you, for from within, out of a person's heart, Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Now, I think it's, it's interesting here. Uh, I don't think what Jesus is attempting to do is put together a comprehensive list of all the sins that come forth from the human heart. But I do think it's interesting what Jesus includes on this non-comprehensive list. I mean, what do you think about the fact that murder and envy are in the same list? Adultery and pride are both mentioned. Lustful desires and greed. I'm certain that everyone here can relate to more than one thing on this list. But the list It doesn't actually need to be comprehensive because the core of the problem is not the sins on the list. It's not the sins of sexual immorality or greed or pride or murder or envy that is our main problem. Those sins, they're just symptoms of an underlying disease. And the underlying disease is sin with a capital S and singular The various sins, plural sins, lowercase s, they're just symptoms of the underlying problem called sin, capital S, singular. Sin is the problem. And we don't just suffer from symptomatic sins. We have this underlying sin problem that just can't be dealt with by applying topical disinfectant. We need Jesus because we need him to cleanse us, to heal us from the inside out. It never works from the outside in. It works from the inside out when we invite Jesus inside. And thanks be to God that in the words of John the Baptist in John chapter 1 verse 29, he says, look. He points at Jesus and he says, look. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The sin, capital S, singular. He doesn't just take away a few of your sin problems, a few of your sins. He takes away the issue, the problem, the sin, the disease, capital S. 
He deals with the contents inside of the container. And here at the communion table, here is where we remember that Jesus takes away the sin of the world. It's here that we remember that Jesus does that by taking the sin of the world upon himself and crucifying it, putting it to death on the cross so that you and I might live, not carrying around the burden of sin, but set free from it. Here at the communion table, we gather again and again and again to be nourished, to be reminded And ultimately, to have communion with Jesus in his death. When we share with him in death to sin. And ultimately, having communion with Jesus in his resurrection to new life. At this table, we remember Jesus' death and his resurrection. That sin and death could not hold him down. But that he rose again from the grave so that you and I also would not be held down with the heavy burden of sin, but would rise again to new life with Jesus. So come, all of you who are tired and weary and heavy laden with the burden of sin, come, have a seat at the table. The invitation is, has been given. The seat is available for you. So come, lay your burdens down. Eat and drink of the grace and forgiveness and mercy of Jesus Christ who died to take away your sin. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons or to subscribe or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at cpchb.org.